<laughs> Welcome everybody to uh, an, a new episode, a new a new venture, the Grime and Game podcast. Or what would you? Uh, what are we calling this? The re reckoning or something? The re Something dirty, something grimy. It's going to be great. Indeed. So I'm your host, Nutchucks. With me as always, Mr. Browbeat. Mr. Browbeat, indeed. And uh, as y'all seen recently, we just started our uh, escapade to Disco Elysium. And, and we need to go a lot further in because Mr. Chucks is just rimming the surface going, yeah, this is going to be okay, I guess. Uh, and because there are other content creators that are just waking up to this particular gem, uh, having wild reactions to what happens within with very different sensibilities, I really want to see our resident peacekeeper law officer pursue the adventures of the detective who's forgotten how the world works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite excited for it. Um... Speaking of that, uh, as y'all have seen, we've been playing a lot. Well, I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil 8. Uh, big thing you mean for me. Village? What's yeah. the nomenclature here? People can't decide if it's Dimitrescu, Dimitrescu, Village, <laughs> Ethan's Missing Fingers. Uh, so the way the game has worked, it's Resident Evil 8 Village, but it's labeled as Resident Evil Village. Uh, it is the eighth numbered sequel in the uh, game. So it's uh, the, the series. So this will be your eighth numbered in the uh, series, but the fifteenth, sixteenth game in the whole franchise makes all the sense forever. Yeah, there you have three or four. You have a couple of games that weren't released in America, a couple of Dead Aim that weren't uh, put here, and then you well, have. Let's, let's, let's focus on Village for the most part. You've been playing a bunch of it, and years mm-hmm. ago now, when RE2 Remake was released, you were hot on it at first, and then you sort of put it down after promising to binge it. But here, you came through on village binging it, it's been what seven days summary content uh just playing over and over yeah what was different there's more to achieve so the big thing so i still i will still say resident evil 2 is the better game in the long haul um remake resident evil 2 original is my still my favorite of all time in the resident evil franchise um big thing for me with eight was that you had so much you could aim for it's just like three um remake the three re- resident evil 3 remake it's that, hey, we give you these achievements to get these points, to get these unlockables, to keep playing the game in different ways. And that's what drove me to do it, is that I kept wanting to go through and try to beat and achieve things at a certain rate and get to where I wanted to be in this. So that, that was kind of the fun part for me, was just trying to get those achievements. I still haven't completed them always. I, I kind of burned myself out. And surprisingly, I didn't know this. I was looking some facts up about Resident Evil 8. And so they had 3 million copies sold from the date it was released on the 7th to the 10th. Resident Evil 7, up until the 31st of last year, sold 8.5 million copies, and Resident Resident Evil 2 Remake, since almost this time last year, had 7.2 million sold. Um, So those those games have been out a little bit longer, but 3 has done really well. It's not the best three-day selling period for... um, Capcom Monster Hunter did six million on launch, so that's double uh, what Resident Evil uh, Village did here. And then Resident Evil Six actually Talking sold about f- the launch window across one week span and all the SKUs. The so same, same, PC, same time period. Yeah, so it's same, all all <clears throat> all consoles, PCs, PC, and all consoles for Resident Evil Six. All the ones I mentioned. So total number of sales three million between PC. Uh, Xbox and PlayStation for Resident Evil Village, uh, 
from the 7th to the 10th, and then the numbers I gave you for Resi RE7 and RE2 Remake are from uh, the consoles and PC. Now, Monster Hunter World's the same way. 6 million on launch between the same amount of time span, uh, which is very, very good. that the Monster Hunter fandom is bigger than the RE fandom? Um, It may be. Because it's about 3 to 1. <clears throat> the dollars do say that, and that's the thing. Like, Monster Hunter is big in both countries, and my understanding is Resident Evil is a lot bigger here in America than it is over... There are only two countries. America and Japan. Canada doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, America America and Japan push the most sales for these, but what happens is is that uh, a lot of the sales... Oh, someone these, please <clears throat> think about Australia! No one thinks about Australia. They have too much censorship. Can't show blood. Uh, and <clears throat> So, Monster Hunter World has is their best-selling game of all time now. It has blown out uh, 6 and 5, Resident Evil 6 and Resident Evil 5 for best-selling games in Capcom history. Um, so that was that, that's the big thing with those games. And RE6, like I said, in two days, sold 4.5 4. million copies in two and a half days. Or two days, excuse me, uh, from it on when it launched. And it's strong. one of... The, that, it's very strong. And it, to me, it's one of the worst games in the franchise's uh, history. It's just terrible in my eyes. It, I just, I had fun playing it with somebody else, but still the gameplay and everything was really rough. Uh, it, it, the storylines was just balls to the wall wacky. So it blew my mind when I saw that it was the best selling franchise or best selling game in the franchise. Um, up until RE2 came out and RE2 now they're saying is the best selling by dollars, dollar amount due to slight inflation and everything. Um, and these are all just Capcom children we're talking about. Yep. And RE7 is one of the best selling in there too. But to me, I would say 7s. If you're going to look at the last two Resident Evil n- numerical games, 7 and 8, seven, uh, 7 to me is the better game. It stays true to lore and the aspect of a survival horror. Compared lore. to... <laughs> compared to the crazy lore of Resident Evil compared to this where it's... There's no, it's not really scary, and they've even admitted one of the producers for the game admitted that they toned down the the horror in this and the scares because too many people complained, I guess, or they they said they had too many complaints that Resident Evil Seven was just too scary for people, which you know kind of blows my mind when you hear that that Seven was scary to me. Seven's good, but it's not as it's not that scary. But do you also enjoy the scary genre? Do you get off on tension, limitation, uh, yeah, threat? Some was... people don't. So people prefer when they have their guns and they're blasting away things that are scary from a distance. And when he gets close on them, you have to mash buttons to say, get it off me, get it off me. But no, no, no. Some some audiences, they really want to feel disempowered and bleak and dreadful. Not in an economic way, but the tentacle is going to get me away. I gotcha. I mean, for me, that, that was my big thing. That's what I always loved Resident Evil franchises for, was for the, the suspense and the psychological stuff that it played and the shitty voice... Excuse me, shitty voice casting was a, a A plus. Uh, it always so made me laugh. So now they took all the scares away. You had so much fun that you played fourteen days back to back. Re Village. Well, essentially, that's what I kind of did. I mean, I'm not. It worked. It worked. You take out the scary players, stick around for longer. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what happened. Um, play, some players did. Th- I stuck around on this game just to get the achievements after a while i got burnt out this the, the bosses aren't that great uh, yeah lady dimitrescu pretty much every resident Evil game the bosses are not that great i hold on, hold on, hold on. that that's for the review i will get to that but 
And this one, it kind of felt to me like it was like an RPG in aspects. Like, you have this area, let's go explore and beat this boss, and let's go to this area, beat this boss, and let's go to... It wasn't like yeah. a Resident Evil game, like, where you you have to explore, but it's all one area, and it's a city. There's a snake and... in this closet. What is happening? Yeah, essentially, like, well, uh, what, the, what the hell's going on? Like, the surprise and horror, no matter where you go, there's a jump or something's going to happen. With this, it's just like, here's your area. Kill all these things. Like, when you first play it, it's tough. But once you upgrade the weapons all the way, it, it's not tough. It's easy. You can just dash through it. It's it's simple. It's Nutchuck's first Dark Souls. He's going to love the rest. Oh, yeah. It's a... Uh... Anybody who says this is compared to Dark Souls, I'm not 100% sure if that's that's a good way of putting that, like, compared to uh, Dark Souls. I, I, would say, I would say it is, because you understand this interface more. You understand the exploration, the scavenging for items, and the bullet mechanics, or the bullet scavenging... No, economy. Let's call it ammunition economy, even though Village isn't very... Uh, doesn't scrounge around as much as some of the other titles do. Correct. Basically speaking, you just have a familiar way of interacting with the world, and that world's layout mirrors a different structure that is not usual, not typical in this game series. Because for you, the economy of seconds or half seconds between dodging, swinging, reposting, healing, etc., that's not internalized yet. So of course, it'd be frustrating or difficult or clumsy. But you shift it to a set of moves you know, you can do, have the exact same environments, same bosses, same everything. You say, yeah, I'm having a better time. It's the same way that you're fighting against the keyboard and mouse this entire time. You're saying, no, I don't want to do it. It's scary and confusing. I don't love it. And that's why you retreat to what is familiar, what is accessible. You don't have to think about where the keys are. You just know. So from that steerage, you can immerse yourself in things that are more satisfying to Mr. Nutchucks. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying this game isn't... Uh, once again, I'll get to that. The, the game is okay. It's not the best. It's not the worst. Oh, people um, love it. People seem to really fucking love it. If it's not the best, then what's better? And why isn't it sold more units? Uh, so a lot of the people that I've seen, they're not they're not saying it's a bad game, and they're not saying it's a great game. What they're saying is they they're trying to mix two of the games in the franchise, and you think would be good, and it didn't pan out the way they wanted to. It doesn't make it a bad game. It just makes it where it's it's lackluster. Like it doesn't fulfill doesn't fill you up. It's like getting a, a meal and going. Oh, I'm hoping this. The sandwich fills me up, and then you get like a five-star restaurant fancy sandwich that has like a slice of ham folded up over two pieces of Triscuit with mayo. There's like a, <laughs> this, this, this. You, you made it sound fancy, but this is really fucking disappointing. I hope you understand that. Got to like, at home. What is this? <laughs> exactly. And you're just like, oh man, like I get it. It's what I wanted, and I know that it's there, but and I like Triscuits and I like ham and mayo is okay on a sandwich, but you know, I just, I could have made this at home. That's not $50. And so it, it, that's the big thing for me. It's like the price point's not bad. It's got a good play time and you've got multiple playthroughs, which gives it, gives it that, like I said, replayability to me is a big factor in games. Like if you want to play a game and it's real quick, like Resident Evil three had some replayability and it, but it was really short. You could beat that game in like an hour and a half, the remake, let me advise on that. Um, and I was just running through it. And I played that nine times in a weekend. Just so I could get as many achievements as I could. But I, by the time I played it the third time, I knew where everything was. I knew where he was jumping out. Uh, the second time, I was like, I think that's here. And then once I memorized it, it was just me running through. And it the, it was no longer fun. It was just me achievement hunting. And I, I, I'm not normally that way. For these games, I am. But I'm normally not that way on this uh, on games. So you're giving it to compulsion 
after the experience and the joy has passed you by. Correct. It's more about, I will feel bad if this honeydew list is left unfinished. So I'm going to pursue that list, even though the joy of interacting with this game is draining every lap I take. But if I put it down now, I probably won't come back to it because it wasn't that good to just do over again. Or to say, I did 70% of the stuff and the other 30% that I can do will just cost me seven more hours. I just I just did the math. I figured out seven more hours and the list is done. But I don't want to spend those hours doing that. That's kind of where we're sitting. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, also, I, I, I burnt myself out so much that I, I've, I put it down for a while so I can... I guess write the review on it that I want to write and get some gameplay footage and see what I can do and record and play it and give everybody a, a comprehensive review. Okay. That's fair. But you stopped having fun one and a half times in? Uh, about playthrough six. Okay. So even knowing what you know, two, three, four, and five, you were still enjoying yourself. I'm still having somewhat fun because it just to me it was just running through with the revolver and blasting things through was just easy and then to me trying to get those achievements i'm having fun but it's like i know where everything is so the horror has gone away for me it went from hey there's the scary situation to hey now i just need to blast my way through this i, I wanted to be like the danny devito meme anyways i just started blasting and i kind of was doing that and that, that was my whole thinking i was just like okay well whatever like i'm not too worried about it so i'm gonna enjoy what i can and why i'm doing it how quick do I run through? I don't need to search a whole lot. Let me just book it through. And like the couple things I want to do now is I want to beat the uh, other three bosses. I've gotten Lady Dimitrescu, uh, her achievement, which is you have to beat her under like mm, 240. And then you have to beat... Minutes 40 seconds. Yeah, two minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, Pretend there's an audience. No, no, two minutes and 40, two minutes and 40 seconds. You have to beat, beat her under two minutes and 40 seconds. Uh which isn't that hard, but the biggest issue I'm having with the other ones, like uh, Lady Benevento, I believe I'm saying her name right, um, trying to memorize where she's at, because she only has, the first spot's always upstairs, and then the last two spots we have to get her are in four different pot potential locations, so trying to find those locations is what's getting me, and what I want to do is I want to find a spot and just resave and restart if I don't beat it in time, but I haven't yeah. yet. Because adding to. random pants to, to time runs is the best combination of events. Then you add a decay mechanics so that your revolver falls apart after every fourth shot, right? Or there's a chance, dude. There's a chance it will explode in your hands. That's yeah. fun, ladies and gents. Well, messing with your players. Speaking of messing with your players, uh, I, I believe we, we mentioned this in passing. Uh, we didn't mention it on any uh, other videos yet, but uh, Ubisoft changing a lot of their AAA games to free-to-play and then somewhat free-to-play. So, like, they're there's big... That are used within the discussion sphere. I think uh, free to pay is commonly the accusation, as well as fee to pay, where you pay an install price, but to get the rest of the stuff, keep paying. Let's see how those pockets, how deep they go. So, my understanding is how it was worded from the CFO from Ubisoft was that uh, a lot of their core games are going to be free to play, that you that you'll be free to get the game, but to get a certain content, you'll have to, to expand the game out. It's going to have to be, you pay for it. Like you're going to have to pay like, Hey, you know, this extra spot that it should be part of the main game. I'm going to have to unlock or this, uh, weapon that's there. I'm going to have to do something to pay to get that unlocked. And they're, they're looking to go the Fortnite model because they're seeing that Fortnite's raking in. I think they've just raked in 
three billion. Three billion dollars is what it just recently said. Um, okay. And so now we call this games as a service. Yeah. And it is cancer, but let's explore that. I don't appreciate the free to play, but with the way the market is going, that's what it's aiming towards. And I get it. If you're looking at it economically, or in in any economic wise, that this would be the smart move for these companies because they have to make what they believe is the most money. Because selling a game at sixty bucks, and then or seventy or seventy, because PS Five's doing that now, PlayStation Store's doing that now. Um, and then saying, but hey, then don't, don't don't forget the season pass though. If you buy the $130 Collector's Deluxe Ultimate Edition right now, we'll throw in the Season Pass. We'll throw but only the first one. Only the first one. If the game keeps doing well, there's more seasons to come. No, no, no. They're not throwing in the Season Pass. They're throwing throwing the Season Pass at you and hoping it sticks. And if it lands uh, in you, then you know you get it. But if not, then you know my bad. We'll, we'll figure it out somehow. And then once we figure out all those bugs that we should have figured out before we release the game... Um, and that's that's the big concern that a lot of people are saying. Like, you're going to release these free-to-play games, and then that issue will... It'll be a AAA game by the time it's done, is what they're saying. Even the Ubisoft... Uh, <laughs> but C- it's C- never done. It, correct, and that's what he stated. Like, we'll have gameplay fixed, we'll be able to get this, and you didn't have to pay money for you know to get a game that was broken when we released it. If it's broken, it'll be fine, and we can patch it through, and you don't have to pay all that money up front. Um and that'll make it easier on the consumer. They spend less money if they are not happy with it. They only have to spend a little bit to get farther in. So that's that was their big thing. And they saw what uh, Apex did for uh, EA, too. I believe. Yeah, Apex was the one that's released, uh, done by EA, correct? Yes. Yeah, it was published Ep- by EA. Ep- no, wait, Epic Games. Epic Games, that's right, my bad. But I think EA was the publisher, wasn't it? Let's see. Um, I believe EA was the publisher on that. They, they, they were the ones who helped publish the game. And I don't think they have any involvement anymore. Not 100% sure. I'm not a big Apex fan or a... EA games for sure. For sure. Yeah. And because of that, fun fact on that, because of how well uh, Apex is doing, EA stock rose to 2.6%. Like, they're they're killing, killing it this quarter. After they did their financial release, their stocks and everything went up and said, hey, boom, we're making more money now because of Apex. Are helping with Apex and everything of the sort, and a lot of people are buying buying their games, and they're saying they're going to turn a huge profit on the FIFA. Uh, but uh, none of that is helping us develop Titanfall three. No, and they are becoming what I would like to call the new Valve. Like, man, like we can just do all this other stuff and not worry about making good sequels to these games that everybody loves and knows. Like, they're not going the Capcom route. Well, that's part of the discussion I was going to steer us into. Go on, you. Let's say, Mr. Chucks, are a reasonably compulsive person. Mm-hmm. You do things in either binge fits or you will come back to the thing that you know and love over and over and over, like a lot of the sports games, which is okay. It's allowed. For some reason, people like them, but they keep publishing them every year and they make sales every year. But if you get hands on a game that's free, that interests you by flavor, let's say Vikings, for whatever reason, you go, yeah, yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that. I want to see that. And the game is good enough to stick around for a while. How more would you like to pump money into it? A couple uh, bucks at a time for a skin or a gun, $15 for an expansion pass or a tournament league? I will say this. So I played Neverwinter. You give me shit about this. It's Neverwinter, the yep. M- free-to-play MMORPG on Xbox. I used to. I haven't played in a while, about a few months. Um, I spent maybe 50 bucks at most over the 
years I played it. But $50 you didn't have to spend. You chose to. I chose to spend because having having certain like certain mounts and certain uh benefits that you get from the side characters like you get little uh helpers i guess you'd want to put it as like there's uh, side characters that help you out help you fight heal you do a bunch of other stuff for you those guys to get the better ones you essentially have to pay for them um, or grind for them for a very long time right can't even grind for them oh, okay these are just strictly paywall yeah essentially pay because you the, the currency you get there's only one way of getting it you have to get astral diamonds and you have to hit level 80 but level 80 to grind you have to have people help you that game requires you to grind and then i quit playing it a few months back because everybody i was playing with was getting upset because they completely redid everything like you were going to be capped out at this level and you can't really go any higher and what's going to happen is is that once you hit this level all your stuff will be knocked down a peg too so everybody's essentially going to be on a, a level playing field and it's going to be better for the new people compared to what the people already have because you just went from being super strong to being super weak. Yeah, we're done with that crop of people. Bring in new people. Essentially, get them in. and that's what I so, told the guys I played with was like they're just look, man. They, they you have to constantly renovate to get new people in so you can make more money. You're gonna burn one crowd to get a new crowd that's gonna make you more money because we're gonna be start spending less and they're gonna you're not making enough. Well, they're not making enough off of us. Anyway, so games as a service, mm-hmm. they cannot stand still. They have to keep moving and iterating to, at the same time, keep a player base engaged and bring in new players. So depending on how things are dialed and tuned, either you have little payoffs and rewards for smaller risk, because no people will dip in and out over and over, or you have a strong enough loop, like let's say Genshin Impact, which I have not played, but I'm aware has a particular appeal. It's flashy, it's shiny, it reminds you of RPGs, it's got attractive people inside, and it's completely free. But of course, once you get into the mechanics and the meat of the game, it's a grind fest. And there are convenient ways to bypass some of that grind. Or you make the grind pleasant. You make it involving. So the players want to come in a little at a time. Half an hour or two hours per session. Sit down, participate with the game, show engagement. And hey, what the heck? Maybe one of the banners appeals to them and they drop a couple of bucks. Or buy a subscription pass. Something similar. But money happens because they want to be there as opposed to being squeezed out because it's just impossible to progress without paying in. And since you mentioned, MMOs have been around since the very early aughts and have found ways outside of straightly subscription models to get players to spend more money through perceived exclusivity or being sold the idea that it's really important that you get this particular unicorn because all your friends are going to make fun of you for not doing that. As things have progressed, MMOs have become a little bit more niche. There's a specific crowd or a mindset that goes towards delving deep into them. But when you have Apex Legends, Fortnite, Call of Duty Warzone, and some of the ilk, these are the games that we that I've just named that have the higher polish and production budget to make themselves broadly appealing, as opposed to many of the other games like Dirty Bomb and Warface that are similar. They're shooter-oriented. People dig shooters. They're easy to understand. They're still free, and they have all kinds of tokens and currencies to pay in, but their crowds are basically committed. Like, this is their flavor of game they want to get into. What we know about people is they're creatures of least resistance. So if you hear your friends are playing Call of Duty, it may not be your favorite game, but that's where your friends are. So that's where you're going to dip into. Go and see. Most recently, there was a banner for 80s legends. Yep. Skins for characters from action films from the 80s. I think it's only... 
think it's only Rambo and doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. But let's say I know that face because my dad liked that movie, so I might buy that skin and then play the game I've already been playing for free. But I gave him money to feel better about my acquisition and abilities. Cool. That is a model that can work. If we take another example, Destiny has been an interesting property because it was initially pitched as a ten-year game, but then. After, I think, four or five years of existence, Destiny 2 was on the horizon, meant to be as a continuity with a separate pay installment. It's not free. You have to buy the game. And then, of course, you have to buy expansion packs because you have a certain amount of participation space inside that world where you're ostensibly gunning, running, looting, cursing the gods that the role was bad and repeating over and over. It's a grind fest, but somehow the players don't seem to mind very much because it's just enough variety where they can go through familiar emotions and feel like they're making progress towards something else. But lo and behold, due to politics, internal direction has been shifted a certain way when they were under the yoke of their original publisher. But then the studios went independent. They were able to buy their way out of the deal. And the balance and structure of the game changed. Some people fled. They said, this is not my destiny. I don't like this anymore. Other people said, great, finally, you can make your own creative decisions. And it's been an up and down struggle because some approve, some don't of any changes to their games. You come in to your favorite football roster and mechanics change, you go, this sucks, I hate it. But somebody else might not mind or know any different. That's the balance you have to play with when you're managing a money machine that poses as a video game, but really is there to keep you spending your attention and your time within. Because the more you do that, the more likely you are to begin spending actual currency to feed into it. So my argument against this model is one, it does very little to engender variety of games. You now have your activity, you come home from your job, you're tired, you get 40 minutes away from your family, and you're just going to be playing the one thing. Because it's there, it's familiar, it's like binging on a TV show that's comfortable to you, you just play a few rounds and that's it. Your desire for discovery is lessened. But it draws a lot of eyeballs and all the, all the attention, but it monopolizes your options as a participant. And two, these games don't last. They evaporate when the player bases go away. If the money starts to go down, well, now that becomes a shelve it for later uh, anthem style disaster where the game exists, but it becomes unplayable if they turn off enough servers and there's no people to interact with and it becomes a shallow experience. And of course, three, the resources of these stu- studios will be uh, funneling into games as a service, will not be distributed to other franchises or pieces of interest or original ideas that could instead be resulted by the talented people who have plenty of experience making games. So combining the indie volition to make whatever they want, but maybe lacking the experience, and then the seasoned veterans who can slap together code and have engines to work with that actually function properly with a publishing budget, that's the rare intersection of games that are really interesting and standalone. Then again, you, Mr. Chucks, had said, I don't like it when I play through a game once, and there's no reason to go back. So. The market is taught. All that matters is to just log in, grind your character, buy the next shiny, and then repeat tomorrow. I don't like that very much. So I will say there's a slight difference when you mention sports games. Sports games. Change nothing, charge again. That has been what they've been doing recently. They've Even EA's admitted that. But the big issue is that there's no competition. Really, like EA owns... The NFL, like the NFL is exclusively to 
EA. Like you can't make another professional football game with those players or franchises or anything of the sort because EA holds the exclusive rights to it. Um, baseball is held exclusively exclusively by Sony. You can't make a baseball game that's based on professionals and or anything of the sort without the permission of Sony. Basketball and what us Americans know as soccer are the two exceptions to that rule because soccer has multiple, like P, I think it's PES pro manager soccer, pro management soccer or something like that is what it's called. Um, that is a, a game that is competition with FIFA, but FIFA makes so much money off of their microtransactions from their ultimate team. And ultimate team is such a disastrous thing for I believe ultimate team is what I would say started this whole terrible microtransaction thing. Um, Ultimate Team essentially is, hey, you can get your best characters, you pay us money, you get these packs, and these packs may be a dollar, or you can spend more money and get these packs and get better and better players, and that was what their pitching was to these young kids. It started when I was probably about 16 or 17, I can't remember which was the first Ultimate Team that, that came, which game it came out on, but that was the big issue, was like, hey, look, you know, mainly kids play this, uh, video games were, at the time, now we're in our 30s, but we were in our teens then it was aimed at our demographic audience. So not a whole lot of adults, maybe early twenties uh, played them, but that was the big issue is that they were aiming at this. And those microtransactions kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And then kind of just spiked down uh, constantly and the sales kept boosting up for them. And that's what they kept aiming their, their frame, uh, their games on. And they never kept improving the games. They're like, Hey, look, we can just keep repackaging the games and maybe update them every few three or four years and just keep doing the ultimate team. And these people would just keep coming back, spending 60 bucks every year to get the new version of it. And then on top of that, spending more money on ultimate team. Cause even when EA admitted to, Hey, we just essentially repackaged FIFA 20 into FIFA 21. Everybody was up, up in an uproar, but they still bought the game. So it didn't really teach them what anything. Is, what is ultimate team? So an ultimate team. So ultimate team, let me break it down for the audience here. So ultimate team, is you so if you play a sports sports game in any way shape or form uh you have your team that's set up each team will have however many players that you need and all that aspect there are players throughout the league that are the best at that position um so what happens is an ultimate team you'll have like bronze version of that character which means he's like low 60s and they do ratings zero to 100 uh normally in ea he is the easiest option so explain through um and you're essentially trying to build like a, a Yu-Gi-Oh deck of the best players in the league that you can originally it was only can you, you can only use those characters for so many games and then you had to swap them out for somebody else. Um, I don't know if that's still the case. I only played Ultimate Team the first year it came out. Like I said, I don't remember what what year that was, and I didn't like it because it wasn't Madden. It was essentially to me it was you're telling me I just have to spend more money to be the best to get the best players. I'm not the New York Yankees in baseball. Um, and so what happens is, is that you buy packets and these packets like chance to get a new silver medal player that has an 80 to 90 rating. And then you can get a gold, which has an, a 90 to 99. And then you can, the more you spend, the better, more, more likely to get these better players. You can win better players. They have, uh, what, what was like the auction house from doom. They have that where these player cards are in there and you can spend, Madden coins or tokens or FIFA tokens to get these new characters, uh, these characters, but you have to spend so much, which would like equates out to some of them are like thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars. Like some people are forking out thousands of bucks just to get 
a couple cards, and it's ridiculous in my eye that, that you're 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 the the person selling it is smart. The person paying for it for a game that you're only going to get maybe a total of I'd say two to three months of full fun play out of it. They're uh, saying the game cannot be won with bronze tier characters. You can you can you can be pretty damn good. There are some people that are just naturally talented at the game, and and don't get me wrong on that end. Uh, there are plenty of people like in Madden that will play Ultimate Team, but when they play Ultimate Team and when they play regular, they're just really skilled at it. So you can go to tournaments and stuff and play with these regular teams and be good because you learn the, the controls. Uh, but to be good at Ultimate Team, you have to have like the 90s to 99 players on your line, uh, offensive, defensive line, your linebackers, tight ends, everything are going to be high. And these guys are going to have these characters and they're just going to have backups upon backups of these characters. And they spend money because when they you win sometimes and you go to these tournaments, they give you money. Um, not money, but like it's online Madden tournaments sure. that the EA promotes or FIFA promotes and then you'll win in-game currency to help improve your team. So they'll spend money, but these guys get good at the game doing that. Um, you're incentivized to participate in a tilted system to begin with correct because these players can do what they can do in reality they have their stats but the system divides them into layers of versions of themselves better and worse and better of course are harder to get by design you can just play the game there's a certain kind of mentality that's driven to win 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 that is going to try to find best odds possible and rationally that does make sense you want to be good at what you do but these are skips to power paid skips to highest level of competence numerically before player skill is even taken into account, which is all the struck in the book. It's no different than power leveling character in an MMO because now you have access to all the things, which you would have gotten over time and some effort. But I ain't got that kind of time of effort, so here's some bucks instead. But that's a, that's a never-ending scale. They will continuously publish more ways and uh, grade down the power of the peak to have the curve continue. So you have to buy into new stuff. And what we have to blame for is the inventor of trading baseball cards, because that is artificial scarcity to begin with, because they somehow gained value and became an economy. And people learned and found ways to create a curved system where it's fun for a bit, but then your base behavior gets the better of you. And suddenly it's all about, I need, I need the power. I need the bestest, mostest power, or the most exclusivest, most expensivest power. I'm going to give you a quote here that I uh, I was watching a video about with Mark Cuban, who owns a, a basketball team, by the way. He owns the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he gave a quote, and somebody asked him about Bitcoin. He goes, I'm going to give you the same quote uh, about Bitcoin that I've always had. It's like baseball cards. Baseball cards are only as valuable as the person next to you makes it. And same with, uh, not well, not just Bitcoin, digital currency, because... There, there's no one there to say, hey, man, this is actually what it's valuable to you and everything. You're just saying this is what I think it's worth. And the other person can tell you to kick rocks. With, but he goes, with at least baseball cards, though, I can hold something. I have that baseball card in my hand. But with digital currency, I, I don't have that. Anybody can take it. Anybody can do whatever they want with it. They can steal my accounts. They can. There's a plenty of things that can happen to me with digital currency that um, won't happen to me with baseball cards or sports cards. He goes, I think they're both ripoffs. I don't think you should invest in those. But, you know, that's just his opinion. And he had a very good point on that end. Uh, as you said, with, like, baseball cards, there was a – the highest-selling baseball card was a Mike Trout rookie card. Uh, sold for, like, $3.5 I believe, about the beginning of this month. Wow. And why would you spend $3.5 on a rookie card? Because someone out there says it's worth something. And exactly. enough people will 
believe that you go, yeah, cool. But as a foreigner, I have very limited interest in baseball. So when I see that gleam in someone's eye light up and say, yeah, man, yeah, that, 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 I'm confused. Genuinely, I understand you believe it's valuable, but I can't translate the image and the numbers on that card to something that's sensible. In the very same way that if I hold a original Black Lotus from Magic the Gathering, and the certain kind of people that know what that is will say, well, that's, that's valuable. You could say, that's a picture of a dark flower. Why are you freaking out about a dark flower? Well, because you could, I don't care. I don't care about the mechanics. This has no interest to me, but it seems like it's valuable, so sure, I'll take it off of you and flip it somewhere else. Well, speculative value. But here we have an active interactive space with players. If we tail it back over to Ubisoft and Apex, people get in to a reasonably low install, install cost where we're going to assume they have the hardware to play these things, whether it's their phone, whether it is uh, a TV and a console, whether it's a computer. That's one of the things you can do with the hardware you already possess. But what's going to make it interesting for you to continue giving them money if it's free to play to begin with? As has become very popular the last couple of years, the developing studio will release a snippet of content, that being a map feature, a quest line, a set of challenges. You, you love those. Maybe a set of character skins, maybe a new character. Why not? Now, if you find a set of mechanics you already enjoy, because a lot of people, especially Call of Duty, you just, historically you know there's just a couple of guns you stick with. They work the best. The game features 70 firearms, four are worth your time. I'm pulling these numbers out of my ass, but just the point being, people settle into a curve that works for them unless the new thing shifts the meta significantly. And the new thing that came out for money is just better or more effective, perceivably, against everything else on the table. Now you're incentivized to spend. Or grumble and deal with it until you wait and maybe patches fix it. Because usually it is in your best interest to make the new thing the broken thing until the purchases begin to taper off. And then you make the next thing the most broken thing ever. It's it's a sort of tomfoolery that we players allow ourselves to be immersed in and say, yeah, I'm having fun, despite somebody clearly toying with my sentiments and putting me in a Skinner box over and over. And enough people do it, even with sports games, they don't question it. They simply are complicit within the system. So companies see that and think to themselves, yeah, I can make a buck off of that. Why not? So also... If you're creating free-to-play ongoing games forever um, and you're marketing it as an advantage to the consumer because it's so darn convenient, it doesn't do anything against crunch. Developers are still in pretty terrible pinched positions where they are complicit. If, if you want to work here, then you have to do it on my terms. Six-day work weeks, seven-day work weeks, 12-hour shifts. What, aren't you proud of your work? That doesn't help the internal struggle. That just squeezes resources further. And I don't see what the next contributive level of value there is here when the now passes. It's really cool for now. What's the next thing? They don't care. Just just push the sales this quarter, and that's as far as I care. Speaking of uh, companies, you know, wanting you to spend a buck and everything of the sort, man. I don't mean to transition to another entertainment topic, but uh, I'm assuming you heard the news today about MGM, right? No, please fill me in. MGM got bought out by Amazon for eight point four five billion dollars. MGM, the movie studio? Movie studio. So James Bond is now an Amazon Prime, Amazon company. And the reason I say studios are doing this, I mean, you got to look at what a lot of these studios are doing now. Like a lot of your entertainment studios, Mike, with games also in an aspect of, uh, you know, Microsoft buying Bethesda, what was it, a month and a half ago? Uh, for $7.95 billion or something like that. 
They spent almost $8 billion to buy a game company that has fucked up a lot of their games recently, which I don't, but it gets them the, any of their new stuff out that anybody's hyped up for. They keep selling. They they keep selling. That's my point. Like they are going to keep selling. So that's what they know. And that's what I kind of feel. Somebody mentioned that MGM does not have the best lineup of movies that are well known, but the biggest one is James Bond. And that now essentially. So what? I'm looking the list right now from 1920s scrolling down. So we'll see what stands out for their legacy because it's a storied studio. It is. And what is the purpose, the benefit of the buyout? If you have a a production house that employs creators and distributors Mm -hmm. and you look at their position and basically you're taking them off the board as a free asset, you put them in your pocket as the purchaser of this, what have you acquired and what's your goal? You have acquired more people to come and spend $15 a month potentially on Prime Video. So now, hey, I'm the only... You really like James Bond movies? You like these MGM movies? You have to come to me. And you're forcing these other companies like uh, Netflix, uh, Hulu, anyone of the sort that wants to use these videos that after their contract's expired, like, hey, if you want to use these, you got to come to us and give us money to have them on your platform. So essentially what they're doing is we're going to buy these studios up and they're all making moves like... Uh, Ghibli is only on uh, HBO Max, I believe, right now. All G- Studio Ghibli films, the English versions, are well, only they're, on. They're safely in their Blu-ray prints, sitting on my shelf. That is and a very no valid point. Take them from me. I actually showed. Uh, I'll get to that here in a second. But th- the point is that they're buying these studio ups, studios up to essentially say you have to come to me. This is the only area of uh, how Netflix is throwing their chips in on uh, anime. They're going, hey, we're helping. We're the exclusive English version or release location for these certain shows. Um, Commonly so, called Netflix jail now. Yeah, that is actually a term that I've seen. And uh, about said Sony, I about said Sunny. Sony um, has bought Crunchyroll, so that way they have their list of stuff that they can uh, go through and say, hey, we're anime exclusive too. Like you, certain animes can only come here. So now they own Funimation and Crunchyroll. So now you have your biggest selling uh, dubbed app for, uh, well, I wouldn't say app, but dub site for uh, anime. And then you have the biggest subbed uh, site owned by one company for anime. And if you want to get it that way, you're essentially going to have to go to them. Unless it's one of the shows that Netflix has managed to acquire. Digital media rights management. It, it is a... Uh, it, it, it's it's just a unique factor that you see this happen all the time because you have like a lot of movies coming out. Not I mean, unique. it's not unique. That is I not guess. the term. No, 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 no. That, that not to me. It's unique to me because I don't. I really haven't looked at it until now. It's unique in my mind because it's something recently that I'm paying attention to. Like I'm just starting to notice. Um, it is it's not unique. It is. It's a good thing to notice, especially you know with what we do. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, heard the news with it, like I was mentioning HBO Max, but they just announced that they were uh, releasing on Blu-ray, DVD, and exclusively on their streaming services. No, I haven't heard. What are they releasing? All right, so three, two. I think there's one big show that you'll like, and there's two other shows uh, they're making movies for. Uh, first show, show. Say what? I don't like TV shows. Yeah. You love this TV show. Uh. First one's Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's going to be exclusively on DVD for 90 days, Blu-ray and DVD for 90 days, and then it's coming straight to HBO Max. Venture Brothers is coming to DVD and Blu-ray, and then straight to HBO Max. You want to take a third guess at the third one? Metalocalypse. You are damn sure right, sir. 90 days. 
So explain to me 90 days, because he said exclusive. So what I'm either interpreting is there's a limited run printing, or they only have a distribution channel license for three months, and then it becomes free sale through different markets. No, 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 no. So what I mean by that is, so they're exclusive, exclusively, exclusively putting it as DVD sales for 90 days. Kind of like how Netflix used to get Disney movies. Like it's in theaters first. So it got theaters first, then it went to Netflix. This is going straight to DVD first. And then after the DVDs for 90 days, it goes to HBO Max. So if you don't want to buy the DVD, you can get it on HBO Max. That's an interesting sell. Okay. I imagine during that printing, there's also going to be a uh, redemption voucher for the digital service because you invested the money in the physical media. You can also echo that onto your subscription platform, which I hate the idea, but I understand logistics of the world. And sometimes it's just, it's just so nice to sit there and then watch a movie and then have the fidelity of the picture fluctuate from fuzzy to crisp, depending on who else is in the house streaming stuff. You know, that's not, that's my favorite part of a movie watching experience. So speak, speak consistent quality. Speaking of, speaking of movies. Yeah. Uh, while we were gone, uh, cause it's, like I said, it's been a while, uh, Venom two trailer released. I don't know if you've seen it. Well, it looks all right. Uh, the first Venom movie to me was mediocre. It. Um, spiral it's, it's released PG 13 carnage movie. And no one sees a problem with that. I see a huge problem with that. I'm right there with you. It's kind of silly. Uh, Spiral released, and it, it's gotten mixed reviews. Kind of, it's not the best, not the worst. Uh, the fact that spir- Spiral colon what? It's what I think it's Spiral colon Saw franchise or something. I don't know what the hell it's called. From, from the book of Saw. From the book of Saw. That's right. Okay. Um, and just to, just to reiterate the opinions of this channel, basically, uh, you can disagree with me if you want to. Saw one. The first movie, Saw, stands yeah. apart from its entire legacy as oh, yeah. a pretty darn good thriller. And then Saw 2 onwards was this hijacked MTV generation thriller uh, death trap pornography. <laughs> Not in a bad way, just you have to be there for the appeal of people are going to possibly die gruesomely due to over-engineered traps and uh, challenges. And it died off for a while, but now they want to bring it back. They also wrote in an entire arc for the main mastermind of making these traps. That there's a way to test humanity and fight against corporations. It didn't matter. It's entertainment. If you're into that mood, cool. But if even if you reject the franchise based on, I don't know about this, Saw 1 is worth watching for completely separate reasons. And for what I've heard of Spiral, they want to try and create a removed continuity with a different mastermind. But the idea that Chris Rock's character was related to previous characters is a, a throwaway flavor addition, much like saying, oh yeah, Ethan Winters totally belongs in Umbrella. But I'm assuming he's Danny Glover's like nephew or something. Yeah, I think there's that familiar relation. I gotcha. But I guess the appeal is go watch Chris Rock not be a comedian because he can do that too. No, I, I according to what I've seen, they it is the third best rated on Rotten Tomatoes Saw movie oh. with a 39%. It, it can barely be, it doesn't have to be a Saw thing. Just like uh, Prometheus doesn't have to be an Aliens thing. But uh, it is, for better yeah. or worse, it's adjacent. Black Flag does not have to be an Assassin's Creed game. It just happens to be an Assassin's Creed game. This yeah. studio is a lot of movies, man. I'm still in the 60s. <laughs> I believe they're the ones who did uh, Cleopatra. That almost bankrupted them, if I'm not mistaken. Or that might be Fox. I can't remember which one. Nope, it's not this one. Okay, so it's probably Fox. Um, 
But yeah, Probably. when I, when I when I saw, I was like, you know, a new Saw movie. I want to see how it is. And then everything I've heard and read so far, uh, it's just like it's okay. I mean, it's silly. Um, My recidivist behavior when it comes to new movies is taking a monthly trip to various pawn shops and seeing what Blu-rays I can pull out from movies that came out five to fifteen years ago that are quite good. Just didn't give them a chance, Speaking... or even mediocre or bad ones. And. A new movie that I saw that I saw everybody's like, yeah, you know what, uh, it's it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be good. It's a zombie movie. And I'm like, oh, I've been playing zombie games, so let's take a look. Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's new movie. All I know about it is what Red, Red Letter Media told me about it. It's mediocre. It, it has all <laughs> the tropes. It has all the tropes of a regular movie. Like, like okay, like don't do this. She's gonna do it. Like we need. And I, I'm like, okay. And once she does it, like I called everything from the get go, and I hate to say that, like. Dude, I'm not the world's brightest person. Don't get me wrong there, bro. But if I'm calling it out from the get go, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like you're sitting there, you're just like, well, Baker could, or Brow, uh, Chucks can see it. Then fuck man. Then anybody can see this coming. But a lot of people, the only one person said that, like it's a five out of 10 uh, on a review that I was reading. Like it has all the tropes. There's a silly love story and there's only one surprise piece in it. And to me, it's not, it was smart to be on Netflix. If it was released in theaters, it wouldn't have got back what it made. At least with Netflix, they can say, well, we had people talking about it. It was trending. We had uh, people coming and buying more subscriptions because of this. And it's a Zack Snyder movie. And if and they it's got also releasing during a drought of movie releases due to yep. global events. Yeah, correct. And it's smart on their end. I don't, I just don't think it's a good movie. Dave Bautista as an actor, he's he's good as Drax the Destroyer, like the goofy, big, muscular guys. But for this one, he's trying to be like all serious, and I just want to laugh. I'm like, dude, you can't like he doesn't do serious roles well, and like he's like trying to save a female character at one point. He's like, oh my god, I'm gonna get to her. It just he kind of reminds me of like if John Goodman was running downstairs, if he was muscular though, like he was. Just, I'm gonna, and I don't know. I enjoyed know. Dave Bautista as Brass Body and Man with the Iron Fists. I enjoy him as one of the spoiler replicants in Blade Runner 2049. So I haven't seen that. And get on that shit. What else? There's something out there. I forget the name of the movie. It's a Netflix movie. Uh, he plays some sort of special operative burnout that has to participate in an attack on the U.S. that apparently is going well as a ground war, which is a novel concept we haven't seen since Red Dawn. Uh, he can do serious, but it has to be a certain flavor of serious. But I understand what you mean. My question to you is, um, was this your favorite remake of Aliens you've seen, or your fourth favorite? Uh, Army of Dead, it's uh, probably going to be uh, about the third favorite Aliens remake. Because <laughs> there's a lot of overlap there. Oh, no, there is. And watching it man it was just it was so hard like i mean there was cool cool moments there was like okay yeah it's zombies it's a good idea uh but the plot from the get-go like how it happens like that wouldn't happen the moment something like i don't know if you've seen anything of this sort with about it uh, about it or anything like if you watch the beginning I'll, and if we want to talk about it at a later date we can like you watch it and knowing what i know no one's gonna do what they say like oh we need to uh get up on this container like, okay, right as that happened, I, I just was like, he's going to get bit and turned into a zombie, and this is how it's going to start. And guess what fucking happened? He got bit and turned into a zombie, and that's how it fucking starts. Oh, okay. And that it was just like, come on, like, there's there's better ways of doing this. 
Uh, MGM released Willow. I forgot about this. 1988. Fuck. Leprechaun in the Hood is, uh, you know, an MGM product. Who knew? The character who played him. Let let me rephrase that. Uh, Speaking of Netflix. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of, I can't remember the guy's name, if that's who you're saying. Um, Warwick Davis? Yeah. No. What I was saying, briefly, if we can, every now and then you call me out and saying, hey, Brow, do you mean like this or the original, which came out blank? And I used to be sort of concerned, perhaps, like, oh, what do you mean Ocean's Eleven is a remake of an original 50s film? Okay, I didn't know that. 60s. Scrolling through this list on MGM, it's at this point, the, the statute is such that if the movie that we're discussing that we know from popular culture is 70 years removed from our current reality, <laughs> go ahead and make it again. I don't care. Relaunch Rocky, relaunch Star Wars, it's fine. We'll watch it again. Because I think I've looked at 300 movie titles that I just don't recognize. Never entered my, my conception that these were movies that were made. I don't know these movies. But I'm going to say we've rehashed the ideas six or seven times at this point. I mean, Toy Soldiers was original. Don't, don't you know, take that away. Yeah. Not Small Soldiers. That was different. Uh, tell me a good story that I've probably heard again, but tell me your version. Just make it good. So we're talking about Army of the Dead. It's a entertaining, interesting rehash of a familiar idea. If it's done well, goody. If not, eh, okay. Maybe don't do it next time. Nah, it wasn't done. It was done mediocre. I wouldn't say it was done well. Um like it was okay like it, it's a good like sit down and just look at it and be like all right this is okay um but other stuff i didn't i didn't know about this um about netflix i, I don't know if you saw castlevania season four right now is getting pretty high reviews still haven't um, watched anything past one uh, i have watched two and three uh i found all three of them to be mediocre um but everybody's like four is where it's at i uh, might give that a shot but a thing that i learned this before you've heard this before Hey man, like it starts rough, but 16 hours later it gets really good. Well, can't just skip? <laughs> no, you can't skip. Can you give me a summary? Well, it ruins the momentum. Fine, pass. Got it. Hunter Hunter doesn't start. It doesn't get until like the 10th or 11th episode. I gotta get four and a half hours in before the series gets good. Yeah, you'll you'll enjoy it though. No pass. But thanks. How about I find? And by the way, this is a good tip for anybody. If somebody's raving about a property a intellectual property find an essay on youtube there's going to be at least one if anything discussed their interest you then maybe look at a digest and decide whether to invest your time into something because at this point i'm going to say you are allowed to take certain skips instead of the instead of the traditional a to z approach to whatever storytelling there is there's just too much stuff to be disappointed by saying man i just wasted nine hours get an overview from somebody who likes it or doesn't like it. Find a hater if you want to. Take a look and see what they have to say. And as a developed individual, you can decide for yourself, hmm, the points being addressed resonate with me. Yes, I would like to give it my time. As opposed to saying, should I start one piece at episode one? And everyone in the room nodding, yeah, yeah, do that, do that, do that. But you guys are still watching it. Yeah, we can't stop. We get to the end. We just put it right back to the beginning. Just This, this is my life now. My life is watching one piece. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I can't. One I've done that a couple times, but I only do it when I'm out of boredom and I have nothing else to watch. Um, but another speaking of speaking of anime, you brought up One Piece. Guess what uh, Netflix got that they're rebooting? Assassin's Creed, Sailor Moon. What the moon? What Sa- Sailor Moon? Sailor Moon. 
Sailor okay. Moon. Yeah, they got uh, new Sailor Moons being released. I believe it said the second of June. But and... all the all the girls are actually transvestites. Yes, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That wouldn't be surprising. I, I'm assuming it's going to go the route of Robot Chicken, where she's going to you know doing the same seductive poses, and then uh, you know the bad guys are just going to have to cancel it and come back another day. Got to get rid of it somehow. Yeah. Can, can we just can we just do this on another another day, please? Address as maybe our last point here for anime and mm-hmm. The world has suffered an unforeseen loss. Ah, uh, yes. Keitaro Miura has died at a deserving age for a manga artist in Japan, being overworked as they are. But now the world will have to be ultimately blue balled, for there is no conclusion to Berserk anymore. I have heard a couple of things. I saw when that happened that the studio mentioned that they were going to try to finish it for him. They will get writers that he was, they were working with him and they were going to get uh, people to try to finish the story out that the way he wanted to, because he's mentioned, I guess that the story had a conclusion and he had the idea, but he never really shared it, but he was just writing the story at that time and seeing where it went. And they're hoping that they can do it that way. That's Possibly. one one way I've heard that they might finish that out. But it won't look the same and it won't sound the same. It's like the later Dune books. Sure, the story did get finished, but you have to be very forgiving and not zealously loyalist to the original creator to accept that. That's tricky, but it can be done. So, yeah. tribute respects. Just put uh, Guts' theme on loop and blunder through your day with a belittling depression. Thinking to yourself, what is life, man? What is life? Well, I mean, let me ask you this. We, we're, we're talking about, you know, Sad, sad moments here. Uh, you sent me a video on on the YouTubes to to watch. Uh, it was done by a guy named uh, Breadsword. I kept wanting to say Breadstick for some reason here. Are we able to do this <laughs> five minutes or less, or do you want to save it for a different topic? You no, know, we can save it for a different day if you want to. That's no it's, big deal. Uh, yeah, you got. We sorry got, to say, I gotta go pretty soon here. Yeah, we got about four minutes left on this. So I'd love to discuss that with you. I'm glad you're excited. But yeah. we're gonna need to develop your chuckness, and then you can get you can expound upon it with me. Oh, I definitely will. Well, robots and titties. Oh, sp- speaking of robots and titties, I don't, that also got released. We started watching my wife and I uh, first couple of episodes because there's only eight, I think, and they're short, so we're trying to space it out versus the binge that I did the first time around. Yeah, I binged it. Too early for full reflection thoughts, but I I like the, 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 that the creative art direction is consistent that the various creators will try and show us how, whatever they like, however they like, whether we think we want it or not. I dig that. Yeah. I, I, there, there were ups and downs for me. I would say that this this is also part of another discussion that we probably should have another day because uh, I plan on rewatching it because I was, I was disappointed at first. I was like, there's not as many episodes. Um, they didn't do as much. The car, they had a small amount of different styles of art, I guess, in my eyes. But, you know, I... I like with anything, like I've uh, done with the other video that you mentioned to me that uh, I like to go back through multiple times and go through with different eyes, I guess is what I would like to say. Like, you know, at one yeah, point in my life, I was doing this. Eye. Yeah, the one critical po- eye. Think about that. Yeah, at one point I was doing it like this. Now I'm doing it like this. And now years down the road from when I saw it the second time, I'm looking at it like this. So uh, there are things I would like to discuss on that show too to see what you thought about. Absolutely. And I would like to do that again. As this is an unresolved thought, we welcome the audience yes. to join us once again on the next exciting episode of our Grimecast, featuring Browbeat and Nutchucks.
All right, guys. Till next time. We'll see you later. See you here.